Topical feline, felino. They are all brothers and sisters. They get on the phone. They talk to each other. You can taste the rainbow cinnamon on their breasts, even though you cannot see and touch them. Welcome. This is Southern California welcoming you all to Slam and Stan number seven. Vandal Drummond here with Alfredo Esparza. How are you tonight, Alfredo? Doing good, Kurt. How hot is it outside? I haven't been outdoors all day. It's not nearly as hot as it was in the past few weeks. In fact, I am drinking for the first time in many evenings hot tea. Oh, I'm a sucker for hot tea. I drink hot tea, hot coffee all the time. But I lately I have been subsisting on iced tea. I was a little worried when you were saying you were drinking. I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is going to sound bad. When you hear that I am drinking, when Kurt Brown is drinking, he is usually getting a caffeine fix. In the morning, it has to be coffee, because tea does not do the trick. However, in the words of the kinks, tea in the morning, tea in the evening, tea at supper time, tea when it's raining, tea when it's snowing, tea when the weather is fine. You take tea as a midday stimulant. You take tea with your afternoon tea. For any ailment or disease, for God's sake, have some tea. So, Kurt, what's the big story today, this week? The big story this week. Nothing. <laughs> there is no big story this week. We, we, well, don't, we don't discuss mixed martial arts, so we're pretty much down to some pretty basic. Yes, there are a lot of rumors going around about Fedor, but I'm not so interested in Fedor as I am Felino. If I'm going to pay attention to somebody whose name starts with an F, it's going to be Felino. Yep. And he's one of the most overlooked of the Casas family, in my opinion. And, and, and he's, oddly enough, not scheduled for the show tomorrow. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. They have, like, have you seen the, did you see the cards for um, the Arena Mexico show tomorrow? I briefly looked it over. Now, am I just getting loopy late at night? But 
I read some mention of it being the anniversary show, which I'm sure is a flub. No, the anniversary is in September. This is the uh, Inferno Nelrine. And from what I understand, is they're still building towards Negro Casas versus Mystico for September? Yeah, yeah I, but I mean, <laughs> this show is just like, their main event is really, like, I, I mean, it's just like, they, they, I guess they automatically had to have 15 guys in a cage match, and they just, I guess they ran out of, because Ray Bucanero's hurt, and then all of a sudden they just started adding all these other guys, like like um, Okamura, Miklan, Maximo, you know, they just started going with all the mid-card guys. It's like, let's just get all these guys with that are not wearing masks and happen to have hair. This is the interesting thing about Lucha. Even, you know, 20 years ago when I was in full Lucha Libre purist mode, the one thing that, from my viewpoint, was the weak link were these tournaments yeah. that would wind up with somebody losing their mask or their hair or... Uh, you know, the loser tournament, where the loser advances to the next round, or I guess nowadays it's more popular to have a battle royal where the last person left in the cage is the winner. And when I first heard of the concept of loser advancing to the next round of the tournament until the two ultimate losers fight each other for their masks or their hair, I loved the concept, but they've always been weak. I've yet to see one that was very strong. But they're always short, short matches, too, like to, leading up to it. Very it's, short matches and usually very poor matches. Yeah, I mean, it's just... And then the guys they have to get just to complete the tournament. <laughs> you just find That's like, interesting. You know, Tijuana, really I remember the first year when uh, the Lucha Mafia and I would make our monthly trips to Tijuana. One night we went when they had a tag team uh, tournament yeah, where... Yeah, they're always worse. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a terrible tournament. But it was interesting because every single team had one masked wrestler teaming with uh, an unmasked wrestler. So one team would lose both their mask and their hair. Uh-huh. And the team that lost the mask and the hair was the team of Caballero Dos Mil and El Salvaje. El Salvaje, who many of you know, went on to become Psicosis. Uh-huh. And Caballero Dos Mil was his brother. Uh, Caballero Dos Mil, not too bad, but... Not near phobia, the talent. Right? Was, it, was it Phobia afterwards, or is this a different guy? That was Phobia, yes. Okay, yeah. Yes, but, you know, well, the Psychosis is kind of unfair comparing anybody to Psychosis yeah. in his day. That was Psychosis' first year as a wrestler, and even then you could tell how great he was going to be. Did you ever watch the Triple H one? I, I don't know if they showed the whole thing. I just remember seeing, like, towards the end of it. Um, they had a tournament where they, or they had this one show where everything was in reverse, so they would have, like, these, like the heels would be the, the the faces, and the faces would be the heels, and then like they would have a mask match, and instead of the guy dropping his mask, he'd take you know he'd he'd remove his mask to get his head shaved. I've I heard that. of that. I have not seen it. The, yeah. the deal right. is, whenever I turn on Lucha Libre and I see any kind of a tournament, I switch the channel. Yeah, I mean, it's, I look for a Hawaii Five O rerun as fast as I possibly can. Yeah, and these cage, I mean, the cage matches. They're always like really just guys trying to run out of the ring as fast as they can, and it really doesn't add anything to. It. I, I I mean I'm not I'm not a big steel cage, you know steel cage wrestling fan. Well, this is another funny thing when you bring up a steel cage. Uh-huh. When I was a child, we had the Freddie Blassie steel cage. Uh-huh. Basically, just a cage, but the storyline went that Blassie built it. But Blassie built it. 
Blassie built a cage. The cage that Blassie built. But here was the thing. The rules of the cage... highlights of it, though? I'm sorry? Did they show highlights of him building it or pictures or anything? That would have ruled. But you've got to understand, this was Mike LaBelle, and that would have cost a little extra money to... Uh, you know, film something so extravagant. <laughs> that would have been awesome, I've, though. Yeah, I remember Jeff Walton saying that Michael Abel could have been uh, Vince McMahon if he would just spend a little bit more money. Wow. Well, the thing with the Freddie Blassie cage, uh-huh. the rules were that you had to pin your opponent, and then you had to climb over the top of the cage down to the floor. And if you were stopped, you had to pin him again. And so when I started watching cage matches from any other territory, it kind of baffled me when the object was to get out of the cage, period. Yeah. And I said, this makes no sense. The guy who does the best job of running away like a pussy is the winner. And that's how WWE, the the rule was with WWE. I mean, because I know the NWA didn't do that as much. Yeah, it made no sense to me. It still makes no sense to me. It only makes sense like when you're running away from Bruiser Brody. <laughs> right? Yeah, Brody. if you're running away from Bruiser Brody, you right. are a winner if you escape. You, you escape the cage, and all, all you have is like a, you took a dump accidentally. Hey, that's fine. <laughs> all is forgiven as long as you escape from bodily harm from Bruiser Brody. But I mean, well, since it is a slow news week... Something that oh, there is actually one big news thing. The Brian oh, yes, this is unusual. This is, like, huge for us, because that might actually mean Brian Kendrick coming back for PWG. <laughs> that might actually have us showing up at a PWG event. In fact, I do believe there is a PWG event tomorrow night. Might we wow. see a run-in by Brian Kendrick? Really? I didn't know. <laughs> but there, I, there is an event tomorrow night. Oh, yeah? I didn't know that. At one of those armories. It, I looked it up. It looks like a loaded... It's going to be a bitchin' show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looks going? really good. Brian Danielson, you know, the usual indie crew. Uh, PWG, I wish I had the information in front of me because I urge anybody in Southern California to check out Pro Wrestling Guerrilla Shows. They are the best indies in California today. They better not bring any Dragon Gate guys. I'll lose all my money there. Unless it's Stalker Ichikawa. Yeah, if it's Stalker Ichikawa, I don't mind losing money. Yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to do a little uh, mecha-type trick. If he comes to the U.S., <laughs> maybe that should be a goal. You and I, Alfredo, kidnap him. Keep him here. Oh, there you go. Find it would probably American. work. He'd probably be up for it, actually. Find some American woman to marry him. Come <laughs> here forever. I'm yeah, like, maybe he could get that Angeline gal. Yeah, there you go. The Billboard gal in Los Angeles. That <laughs> would actually work. Stalker Ichikawa marrying Angeline. That would be the uh, the the wrestling couple. It would be perfect, because he would be famous for losing matches, she would be famous for doing nothing, and watching them snuggle up to... Kurt, are you gone? Uh Uh-oh. Kurt is gone. Kurt is off the air. Uh Uh-oh. Let's see how long it takes him to figure out how long he's going to get out when he shows up. Uh Uh-oh. Unfortunately, Kurt had to go off-air during the one of the slowest weeks of pro wrestling history. Great.
it's live. He must have lost his electricity. Well, let's play some let's play some music while Kurt comes back on the air. Oh, there he is. Kicked off our own show. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna click on the music. <laughs> yeah, like, that would have been the only way to go. I, I was, was like, just... I have nothing to say really. I'm just gonna go up there and play some music. <laughs> well, how far did I get into talking about surf guitar before I got booted? <laughs> Not very far, did I? No, you just all of a sudden you just went off air. What happened? I have no idea. I was told like, that the time going? allotted for me to dial has expired. For off your phone or what? Or yeah, it, I just heard this 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 snowy sound. It must have been something with your phone company going on. I think so. God damn them motherfuckers! Damn, anyway, we have six songs on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we gotta have a lot of backup here. Well, there's a song we should add. There's a song that, if it's possible, we should add to the queue. Uh huh. Am I still on the air? <laughs> yeah, you still are. <laughs> am I you still on the air? You know what? We're just, I'm just going to start looking for all these different mu- songs. In and I'm sober. And just keep adding it right there, you know? Or that, um, that what was it, the one that Bob Barnett had, the the SoCal... Um... Oh, you're off the air again, Kurt. Your phone is screwed up. Uh-oh. I have so much more to talk about with you, Kurt. Where are you? Kurt keeps getting bounced off this show. Well, let's put on some music while Kurt gets back on. Because I have nothing to talk about. Oh, there he is. And what happens? <laughs> What's going on with your phone? I have no idea. Or is it the Block Talk Radio thing? It might be Block Talk Radio. This is a conspiracy, just, just in case. They a live show. They want yeah. me to do And they always take, like, I swear, the first show, I was going through my notes. For every previous show, and I have like a shitload of um, of bullet notes and everything. And I'm looking at this one. I'm like, I only have like six things to talk about. <laughs> everything else was everything yeah. else was kind of. Well, well, I think there's a conspiracy to keep me from getting this little piece of news out. It's trivial news, I'll admit. Maybe you're po- maybe you're saying like the like a code. I might be yeah. I might be you know saying some inadvertent code here that just kind of like throws us off the air. If you get booted off a third time, I'm, I'm I'm ending the show. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a three count, a fast three yeah, count. Yeah, I'm quitting. I'm like, oh. Well, I switch phones just in case it is the telephone's fault. Uh, well, anyway, surf phone. guitar. Uh-huh. Anybody who knows me knows what a huge fan I am of surf guitar. I cannot play the guitar. I know nothing about the guitar. I don't know what a chord is, but I love listening to surf music. And one of my favorite sites is called Surf Guitar 101. They've just posted their eighth podcast. They post a new podcast every few months. They they posted their uh, eighth episode on July 25th, and I just have to mention the second song on the playlist, Los Campeones del Justicio, by the Ghastly Ones. Is it just all music? It's all music, but they awesome. shout out the names of Mil Mosteris and Blue Demon and El Santo. I mean, the host of the show is it the is it the, the is the podcast all music? It's all music, and it's some of the most bitchin' music you will ever hear. They play old uh, surf music like the Challengers, the uh, Shantays, the Trashmen, 
and more contemporary surf music like the Meltones, the Ghastly Ones. The Ghastly Ones are the ones who performed Los Campeones del Justicio. The Ghastly Ones were at that show we went. We had. Um, uh, that's right, they were. They were. And uh, Atomic Mosquitoes, who also uh, played on the undercard in an incredibly strange wrestling show in the 90s. Wow. Uh, Lucha fan or not, check out surfguitar101.com. This is just pure bitchin' music. This will bring you to a higher level of spirituality. This will surf you across the astral plane. Kurt, I hope you don't go off the air again. I hope I don't either, because I am having a bitchin' time tonight. I am having a really bitchin' time tonight. You know what I should do? Just have, like, silence all of a sudden? (laughs) Silence all of a sudden. Well, silence for the possibility that Vern Gagne may or may not have passed away. No, seriously. There you have a... Chris Zellner freaked me out when you posted that um, Vern Gagne had passed away. I was like, oh, my God, seriously. Well, I mean, it's not that big of a surprise. I mean, the guy's old, and... Which is funny because you could picture it happening, but if somebody wanted to post uh, a good scam, that would be a good one to post because a lot of people would buy it. Yeah, because I mean, and I knew it was kind of fake because I went, I went ahead and looked through, you know, I Google searched it, and it was on Wikipedia, and I was like, oh, it's Wikipedia, it's fake. <laughs> you know, there's no, there because the, the the most recent news was about him um, killing that other guy. That other yeah, guy. that. Just like that, very sad news, and like I said, seems like some of the strangest stories come out of pro wrestling. Well, I mean, chemo, the same thing happened to him. Uh, yes, Jeff I mean, yeah, the Ghani one, that, man. Fake death. I think everybody's exclaimed just how tragic that one is, and don't even, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that one. But <laughs> anyway, we're dead. just the good news sitting back, we're not even dead. waiting, but we heard there is a possibility he has passed away. Uh-huh. But since that's possibly neither here nor there, I guess we should move on to the next subject. Titanes in El Ring, which everybody who knows me knows it's a subject dear to my heart. <laughs> this goes way back to the very sure. first year I watched professional wrestling in 1972. And... My weekly fix was Saturday night on Channel 13, Wednesday night on Channel 34. These were both a LaBelle promotion wrestling shows. But on 8 o'clock, the same time the Channel 13 show air showed on Channel 13, there was a show on Channel 22 that said Lucha Libre, week after week. And I think we talked about this on one of the recent Slam and Stands. One night when Channel 13 Wrestling was preempted, I turned it on and watched pure Lucha Libre for the first time. I watched They featured a singles match and a tag match in the one-hour show. Uh-huh. And to this day, I have no idea who the participants were. I just All I remember is it really tripped me out, especially because the tag team consisted of two masked men who uh, looked like they were masked clowns. Not happy clowns, tragic clowns, something out of a Fellini film. And they were wrestling two heroes in Batman masks, but the Batman mask had some sort of weird leopard spots on them. And Lepardos, probably Lepardo or something. Uh, yeah, I was, I was tripping. Yeah. But about a month later, when I uh, looked up Channel 22 on Saturday na- night, 
in the TV guide, I noticed there was a show called Titanes en Acción, Titans in Action. Uh-huh. And the only description it said was wrestling. And so I figured in between uh, matches on Channel 13, I'd switch to Channel 22 to see what this new show is. So I switched to Channel 22 when Titanes en Acción is on. And the first thing I see is a clown dancing down the aisle to his own theme song with a handful of balloons, a bouquet of balloons, stumbles into the ring and throws all the balloons to these adoring children. And I immediately thought it was the most ridiculous thing I ever saw. And being 10 years old, I thought, oh, you know, I I thought it was an affront to professional wrestling, how they're just mocking it. But of course, come next commercial, I turned back to Channel 22. And the next thing I saw was a mummy walking very slowly toward the ring to this really spooky music. And I think it was the first time I didn't turn right back to Channel 13 just because this fucking tripped me out. Now, for all you young ones out there, this was years before any traditional American promotion did gimmicks like the Yeti or the Undertaker. They did some pretty way out stuff. Or anything like that. Yeah, but this mummy was like the mummy you would see in old movies that just slothed its way slowly to the ring. And by the time it got in there, you know, it was like a triple-A entrance almost. (laughs) And his opponent would throw punches, drop kicks, everything out of his arsenal, but nothing could even flinch the mummy. And his spooky music would play throughout the whole match, which was usually about two minutes. Again, I thought, this is the most ridiculous thing I ever saw. But as I looked at that mummy... I was creeped out. It was a very creepy outfit, and the uh, wrestler who played the mummy, who also played a character in the Titanes troupe called uh, El Gitano Ivanov, uh, a guy by the name of Juan Dos Santos, and I bring up his name just because I hate for that name to be forgotten. He, uh, he died in the mid-70s, but before he passed away, he performed probably the most important role in Titanes and El Ring history. So here I am both ridiculing the mummy and at the same time being kind of creeped out by him. And when you're 10 years old, you hate to admit that you're creeped out by a movie monster. But here I was every now and then having this recurring dream that I'd be minding my own business, uh, going for a walk on the bridal trail. And out from nowhere comes La Momia, the mummy. And of course in those dreams, your legs turn to lead and you can't run away from them. So here I was, 10-year-old kid. Scared of a fucking mummy. <laughs> but it had me tuning in faithfully to Titanes and El Ring. And it was a wrestling mummy, too. So It was a wrestling mummy. And the beautiful thing it wasn't is... was an actual movie mummy. Yeah, it wasn't a movie mummy. This was a wrestler doing a better job playing a mummy than Christopher Lee could play in his dreams. No disrespect to Christopher Lee out fan, uh, fans out there, but it is true. And as the year progressed, and I'd watched the, uh, you know, the plot lines of Titanes and El Ring, I knew that the main storyline was that La Momia was after the scalp of 
the champion of Titanis and Elring, and I later found out the founder and promoter of Titanis and Elring, Martin Cardigian. Cardigian was this really trippy-looking dude who, in the early 70s, had like taffy golden hair down to his shoulders, this big black deer beard, and this Cheshire cat grin. And there was just something charismatic about this guy, and I thought I was the only one who was way into him and thought he was cool. But as I later found out, he is one of Argentina's eternal darlings. Martin Cardigan began promoting wrestling in Argentina in the early 60s and went on to be both Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon wrapped up into one package. He is both the most famous wrestler ever to step into the ring in Argentina and the most famous promoter to run a wrestling promotion in Argentina. And later that year, he had a match in Luna Park in Buenos Aires, which was like the mecca of professional wrestling, equivalent to Arena Mexico. Uh-huh. Arena Mexico meeting the one in Mexico City, not South Central L.A. or Madison Square Garden. He and La Momia would regularly sell out Actually, I should, when I say regularly sell out Luna Park, it was a once-a-year meeting they would usually have. Uh-huh. And they would draw a sellout crowd of 22,000. Their match in 1972 was probably the most famous one. And you can see probably a little over half that match on YouTube if you go searching for it. Was that the Observer match of the year for 1972? It should be, if I have any say in it. If, if Dave Meltzer started the, the the Observer at the age of 10. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, well, mean, the I Observer crowd, I mean, they're a lot more fascinated with it now, but whenever I tried to draw people's attention to Titanic and El Ring in later years, yeah. because in the early 80s it aired here in Los Angeles once again, and it also aired back east from 1976, can't remember when it you know fizzled off the airwaves but nine out of ten people would not even you know would turn the channel immediately and just say how retarded it was but that's that's how it is with a lot of wrestling i've noticed it like people like when you actually when it's actually airing they're not really into it they'll talk about how stupid it is and everything and then like right like 10 years later and you find this one person who actually are You'll find like a, a large amount of people like yes. really into it, and it's like, and that's exactly how it was with Hitanes and El Ring because almost everybody would just oh don't even talk to me about that. But every now and then I'd come across a wrestling fan, and when I say wrestling fan, I mean you know good meat and potatoes, old fashioned wrestling fan who would say, you know this stuff is really intriguing. I I tell myself not to watch it, but I keep watching it. Yeah, and. You know, I could spend the whole hour talking about the whole concepts of Titanes and El Ring, but in a nutshell, you know, I talked about the, sure. mat, wait, the feud between wait. Martin and La Momia. You've got 32 minutes. You can talk about it all. <laughs> 32 <more> minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably will talk most of the uh, hour about it, but, just so but good, I could um, go on to late o'clock just talking about the mere skeletal structure. Oh, wait. Uh, actually, you could go longer than 32 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would fascinate me, but I think I might bore the audience to tears, which I might already be doing anyways. Well, but aside from the Martin Cardigan and La Momia feud, Titanic Ring was basically 
a TV wrestling show that was geared towards children, but also had a lot of appeal, appeal for adults, too. It was family entertainment, a very psychedelic family entertainment, where they would use historical figures uh, from literature like Don Quixote and Sancho Pancha to science fiction creatures like Yolanka the Spaceman, who in his Luna Park appearance in 72 was actually lowered to the ring from above in a space capsule and had a pacifying gun that he could, you know, mellow the Rudos out with if they got too violent. That's got to be like a Chikara type of thing. Chikara is very similar to Titanis and El Ring. I don't know. Mike Quackenbush, Mike Quackenbush is one guy, man, if I could give somebody a TV show and a budget to do what he wanted to carry out, Mike Quackenbush would be the guy. uh, I've seen some Chikara videos over the past year. I love what Mike Quackenbush is doing. Uh uh, Actually, we got in touch uh, shortly after the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame issue from last year came out, in which Martin Cardigan was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And we started corresponding, and Quackenbush was cool enough to send me a few DVDs of Chikara and I watched them, and I said, the only thing I would change is I would love for somebody to give this guy some money so he could actually put some production costs into it. You wouldn't yeah. have to go that extravagant, but he's the closest thing to Martin Cardigan I have ever seen since then. Well, at least in this country. Yeah. Johnny Legend might hate me for saying that, but... <laughs> well, you know, the thing with, with, the thing with Johnny Legend, he, he comes up with the stuff right as he's showing up. <laughs> You know, there's really no way you could actually... Yes, his, Johnny Legend is a man whose mind is working 24-7, yeah. even when he's sleeping. But he, it's like when, when, I, when I was telling people about the, the show, that you know, the, the CMLL, the way they're booking, I go, I mean, you'd be surprised how weird some of the people are who book shows. Because some of them, and I mentioned Johnny Legend, how he doesn't come up with any... He's coming up with stuff as, as it, the show's going on, you know? Yes, Johnny Legend often would have... Uh, a crew of characters that he thought up some weeks before a match, some months before. Yeah. And he'd think up a few angles ahead of time. But then, as like you said, as the show's unraveling, he'd change things. You know, not just to be screwy, but as the show begins, he would say, wait a minute, maybe we should do this instead of this. Maybe we could shoot this angle later, or maybe we could totally turn it upside down. Well, see, like, like if he did a battle royale, he would be like, okay, how about we do 15-man battle royale inside a steel cage? Winner, winner, and instead of them going over the steel cage, over the, over the top. Yes, yes, and they always have to be tagging each other. They, they have to be tagging each, each other for no reason. <laughs> find a way to dig out of the ring and, in, out, and get out through the bottom of the ring. That's what, that's what he would come up with. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know? Working with Johnny the Legend is one of the most fascinating things because... Half the time, he'll drive you crazy. The other half of the time, you absolutely adore him and am just in awe of this guy's mind never rests. This guy's mind is just, it's like the zen of uh, caffeine or something. It does not stop. He does so much, I mean, he does so many things. It's like, when do you, I mean, how can you come up with all this stuff for wrestling when you're, like, doing music? I think he was doing. He did. He does movies, doesn't he? Sometimes he does movies. He does, you know, video editing. He does. You name it. He's done it. He has been doing this 
since he was a young lad in the 60s. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a part of Southern California subculture that could never be replicated. He was, uh, when he was a little kid, his parents had Gorgeous George over uh, to the house for dinner. Wow. And um, he hung around the wrestling arenas uh, from day one. He was you know, one of the people who ran Freddie Blassie's fan club, club when he was a teenager. And he, he made movies. He made uh, a movie called Teenage Cruiser, uh-huh. which was a mid-'70s porno flick. <laughs> Surprise there. Yeah, well, here's, and here's the fascinating part. Uh-huh. The sex in the movie, lame. Uh-huh. But the rest of the movie, brilliant. If you could uh-huh. just take the... If you could just amp up the sex in the movie... Uh-huh. Or not amp up the sex, make the sex, be, you know, well-produced better and... Act, you know, better... Yeah, they, it, it was not shot well. The sex was not oh. shot well. But the concepts he came out with, with were just hysterical. He had family members playing non-sex roles, including his sister, Lynn Margulies, who was uh, portrayed by Courtney Love in Man on the Moon. There, uh, you know, again, I could go on for the rest of the hour talking about Titanis and the Ring. I could go on for the rest of the hour talking about Johnny Legend. Each are equally fascinating. Uh-huh. And as I hear the tea kettle beckoning me again... Uh-oh. I guess it drop- tells me to talk a little more about Titanis and El Ring. Better not drop the phone. <laughs> no, not the, well, as long as I don't grab onto the hot mug the way I drop, you know, grab onto the phone. Hey, Kurt, did you watch um, Shaq on Raw? Did I watch who on where? Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal on Raw. I did. I watched did? Uh, the last segment. <laughs> How much of the show did you watch? Did I, just the the last just the, just that very last match, and I, 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 I he's I the anti charisma. You know, I saw the first thirty minutes, and I said, I said, man, I can't go through this whole show. Shaq really... is the anti charisma. I've what, never seen that? anybody lack so much expression. You know, it wasn't not that he he wasn't bad. I'm talking about the the show itself was horrible. I mean, it's just a bad. I mean, I yeah. Just, as I as I promise every week, I promise to start slam and stand every week watching only a smidgen of Raw or TNA. Yeah, and you just can't get You will never hear me, you will never hear me review an entire Raw show or a TNA show on Slam and Stan. (laughs) But... But the thing is, like, I I thought, I mean, from the very beginning, you just knew the the show was going to suck. He comes up with this, they came up with this, I don't know if you saw the, you didn't hear about the middle part, right, where... He was talking about how there's going to be a tournament to de- decide who would be challenging for the WWE world title at SummerSlam. And then they come up with, like, these... Yeah, I, I think I, I might have heard Dave and Brian uh, yeah, well, talking about it on the podcast. Whoever, but... won the, whoever won the match the fastest was going to win. And I'm like, dude, seriously, what the hell? What? I mean, you had... Wait a minute, you had Shaq. He didn't know what he was saying. And they had Jerry Lawler repeat the same exact thing that Shaq had just said. And, and you still didn't know what the hell they were talking about. It's like, dude, what the hell is going on? I think I, I, I have no idea. I'm listening to you telling me this, and I'm looking at my tea and saying, I, I have no cannabis in this tea. This is just, you know, plain old English breakfast, and you're telling me the storyline. I'm like, what the hell? Well, the only good thing was Chris Jericho got the best line out, where where he tells um, um where he tells Shaq, when I heard the most dominant NBA player was going to be here, 
I thought it was going to be Kobe Bryant. <laughs> well, if there is a high point to any Raw show these yeah. days, uh, you know it involves Chris Jericho. Yeah. And then after Chris Jericho and Shaq's little confrontation, you knew it was downhill after that. Well, I think oh, how just, sad, how sad. I think they killed Santino's gimmick, too. I think it's because mm-hmm. I, I saw some of the stuff that it, they were doing with Santino, and it's just like, it's not the same anymore. Yeah, as my, and as much as I was a huge Santino fan, even even I think it's time to wind that baby up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but what is he? You really would hate to see that guy get fired too. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Put him under a hood. Go old school. Put him under a hood as the Red Demon, like we talked about. Yeah, and have him over on ECW or something. That'd be sweet. Yeah, just the Red Demon. Have have you know, put him over each week, but never give him a title shot. Or the Golden Terror. Yeah, and have have people forget about him for a little while, and you could always bring him up down the road, you know. Or put a mask on him that has a blonde wig, and we'll call him the Masked Mulkey. <laughs> there you go. That would be awesome. That would actually be a good... You should have to Let's go book on... Let's send our resumes over to WWE. I, I say we do it. You know, he would have to take higher backdrops if he uh, is the Masked Mulkey, but I think he could pull it off. We should send our resumes to CMLL, too. <laughs> I like that idea better. Yeah, and then well, we could just complain. If we could just sit there, like, what if, what if Shocker <laughs> lost his hair? Oh, or, I think uh, we just fly to Mexico and just walk into Arena Mexico and see if they'll take us. <laughs> Especially somebody like me who speaks very little Spanish. And just, just tell me, Russell. Oh, you think that would work in, in Arena we, Mexico? Like, this is it. This is it. Like you and I could go fire. there. You could do all the talking. We'd be like Penn and Teller, and I'll just sit there and nod and look awkward. Yeah, then we could just like, and then you do all the wrestling, and I just stand around and I talk to the announcer. That would be sweet. Do all the that would be sweet. Just talk to Leobardo Magadan. <laughs> be like, oh, yeah, we could go. We're going after this. We're going to the, the strip club. <laughs> now, before I get too far away from Titanic uh-huh. and El Ring, I want to shift back to it just long enough to let anybody know who. Uh, frequent standtheembryo.com that right before the show I posted two YouTube videos. The top one is of one of many of Titanis and Elring imitators. Martin Cardigan was the first, and he was the best, but he had scores of imitators, some good, some very, very poor. I posted this one because this is from the group called Titanis del Ring, out of Chile, and this was in 1981. The match is La Momia, the mummy, versus El Faraón, the pharaoh. And really old school wrestling fans, I'm talking a little older than me, will marvel at this mummy because this is the classic American wrestling mummy that was played by Benji Ramirez. This was definitely fashioned after this cat. This is a pretty pretty decent mummy costume with uh, you know long scraggly hair coming out of it, and it is the coolest entrance. The pharaoh enters the ring to uh, to the song Rasputin, which if I don't know if any of the uh, '70s disco fans out there remember Boney M's cover of or song Rasputin that was a big hit, rah, rah, Rasputin, lover of the Russian queen. Oh, good thing you sang it. I was going to ask you if you could. Yes, I haven't done any karaoke (laughs) yet tonight. Anyway, the entrance is just totally 
bitchin'. It is totally awesome entrance. And there's two just you know gorgeous babes singing the entrances for the mummy. And the whole set looks like it's painted gold. This is unlike Titanes and El Ring from Argentina, which is an LSD trip. This is like a Robitussin cough syrup trip. Like you drank something and it's fascinating that you're nauseated by it at the same time. So we have a five-star entrance, but when you watch the match, you have a minus five-star match. <laughs> this is easily the worst wrestling match I have ever seen. Now, I have not seen that recent TNA women's <laughs> match that was minus five stars, but I challenge anybody who has seen that match, go to my webpage, check out La Momia versus El Faraon, and let me know, was that match worse than the women's TNA match from the pay-per-view or not? You have to email Brian Alvarez and ask him. In fact, I will do that. I will do that because he is the one who really gave us... He's going to have a stroke just talking about this stuff. I love his type A rants. I I love how he gold-stamped that match. It's probably the worst match of all time. Well, Brian Alvarez, I want to challenge you as if he's even listening to us. You You know what? I bet you that match. I bet you the women's match on TNA wasn't worse than that match we saw at Arena Paraguayo. Probably not. I'll In fact, I'm so curious. I want to see this TNA pay-per-view just to see that one match. But, you know, I, I don't. It's sucks I didn't tape it though. I mean, that's one thing I kind of regret. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I, it's the only time I regret it. not, you know, regret passing up a TNA pay-per-view. The other video well, no, I posted not that, was, the, the Arena Paraguayo match. Oh <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would. I don't think I would have been able to handle holding. In fact, that was that one of the few weeks that you didn't bring your uh, camcorder uh-huh. to the match. No, because remember that was right after she started asking me to film the show. So she that's right. That's camera. right. And then we. Kept, I remember we those guys. Show. They looked pretty athletic, but boy, they got in there. I, I can't remember their names, but boy, did they suck. One of them was uh, Monje Maldito Jr. And the other guy, I remember. Yeah, and the other guy, I think his name was like some. Junior or something. Yeah, they were terrible. When they got into the ring, I said, "Huh, hey, they look pretty fit. They look in good shape. I wonder how, you know." And, and not to confuse. No, it actually wasn't Junior. It was a guy named Calibre. Calibre, it, oh, like caliber something. It was hard to watch. Yeah, and it I, was I, hard to watch. Difficult. You know, the sad thing was the, the the match that you saw was bad, but the match before that, the, the week before, because remember they had back to back singles matches. Yes. The match before that was even worse. In fact, I I was unaware they even had a match be- the week. Yeah, before. they had a match before that, and I remember going over and telling you I just I I think I just saw the worst match I've ever, <laughs> I've ever seen. And when that match was going on, one of the guys I think that was a match on Kendo. One of the guys who plays Kendo is, was there, and he was peeking through the curtains, and I he looks over at me and he's like, Oh my God, these guys suck! <laughs> and I'm like, They do. They were bad. Really I. I actually would go on record on saying I don't know if I'll ever see a match that horrible. Uh, this comes close, though. This is yeah. close. The other video I posted was from 1978 when David El Pastor, where David the Shepherd Boy goes to wrestle La Momia. Uh-huh. And David El Pastor, who, you know, when I used to watch years ago, we all called him the Bethlehem Boy. <laughs> he always... Uh, Oh, I can't remember the soundtrack he came to. It was one of the old 60s biblical, you know, big-budget films. Oh, what was it? It wasn't, um... 
it wasn't the Charlton Heston flick. Ah, I'm, I know. I think I know. I, cause I've, heard, I've seen that. You know what I'm. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm talking about. But it's yeah. one of those great uh, '60s soundtracks that you'd see in a movie like Spartacus or some shit like that. Well, well, you well know he wrestles La Momia. Kurt, Kurt, don't even worry about it. Later, later, at some point, Doctor Lucha will let us know. He'll let us know. But I encourage everybody <laughs> to watch that match just to see what goes down in the match between David El Pastor, who brings his little lamb to the ring, and La Momia. Even if you don't speak a word of Spanish, just watch this and just trip out. This is pure psychedelia. These two videos are evidence you don't need drugs. You just need to watch shit like this. You need Godzilla, you need Megalong, you need Jet Jaguar, you need old Betty Boob cartoons. These are the things that take you over the edge. You know, I, I think that's what I think. What we, that's something that some of these promotions. But one from somebody who wants to run an indie show should consider doing something like that. I think they should too. And Instead of like booking every single top guy in the world, why not come up with like all these weird gimmicks? Because I know I know um Quackenbush does it with Chikara, but I mean he's at a certain budget. But I mean there's people that get into this into wrestling with more money, and they all they do is like I want to do the All Star. Indie wrestling super show. Yes, Brian yes, Daniels and they don't realize that everybody and their brother has done it before. I mean, everybody does many it. times I mean, over. And then you're not going to be like here in LA. You're never going to do a better show than PWG has to offer. I mean, I'm sorry. You're not going to do some. You're not going to out beat out. You're not. You're not going to get a, a show with more wrestling than than PWG is going to offer. I agree. I agree. So I say so instead of trying around. to outflash them or outwork them. Just do something different. Do something for another audience. In fact, as much as I'm joking about how bad uh, this match is between Momia and Faron, uh-huh. look at the audience. Yeah, I It's mean, getting over. You have the audience pops for it. And if you're getting over, you know, I never thought I would... If you knew me 20 years ago, you'd never dream I would say something like this. But if you can't work a lick, but you can, you know, sell tickets, and you have a loyal audience base... Yeah. Do it. Go for it. I mean, that's 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 what always like. There's always that one guy who nobody understands why he's over, and he's, yes. he can't wrestle. And but it's because he's got something that the fans want to. You know, they want to see him for some reason. Exactly. And I, and I'll be the first to admit when I was Super younger. Cybernetico. <laughs> <Super> yeah. <Nettico. laughs> there's what? Well, not, well, you know, there's a limit. There's a limit. Like Cybernetico, there's a limit because I mean, on on the indie level, he didn't even he didn't translate well. Him, him, him at the Andy level, level, he didn't translate. And there's yeah, it, well, it it doesn't depend just on the wrestler, but it also depends yeah. who's booking him and who's who's at the wheels, who's the captain of the ship. Yeah, you know, in the know. famous Paul Heyman way, there's a guy who knew what to do with somebody with severe limitations. I think a guy like Cibernetico, when he went on the indie circuit, I think he was expecting, like, I think he he called the shots for himself, and. He wouldn't. I, I don't think he would listen. I don't think he's the type of person who's going to want to listen to somebody tell him, "Hey, dude, you should do this. You know what you should do? Don't wrestle a 15-minute match. How about an eight-minute match? You know, because I mean, his if he worked eight-minute matches, he wouldn't get exposed as how crappy he is. Yes, that's a very good point, and that's a classic wrestling tale when you take huge stars like Antonina Roca tried running promotions on his own when he was, you know, in his heyday, and it flopped. Yeah, he was good at being Antonino Roca, and like you said, Cibernetico, good for an eight-minute match, hides his weaknesses. But yeah, you let him out on his own, 
to his own devices might not work. And how about Perros del Mar? Look at them. They, every single show they do, there's always a DQ finish or, or there's no a no decision. I mean, you know, every once in a while, people want to see people win or lose. I mean, exactly. I mean, it's like if you uh, you know bought a book, a novel. Do you want to read a non-ending every time? Do you want to have every book finish in the middle? Do you, do you want to watch basketball or baseball and have a tie ball? It end in a tie ball game. I mean, yes, yes, and have each side look frustrated, but you know neither side soccer. wins. Even no, you want to tell a story, whether it's legit or not. Even soccer has a you know has a winner. I mean, they they'll end a one-one tie, but they'll still do that you know that kicking towards the end. Of the uh, yes, that's right. Exactly. Somebody's you know going to be up. Somebody's going to be down. And it, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous some of the stuff that these guys come up with. Well, Kurt, go back to whatever you were discussing. <laughs> <laughs> Titanes and O-Ring. One of the other things I would love to mention about Titanes and O-Ring is I was very lucky to watch it when it you know, first aired here in the United States. And it's funny, you heard me earlier say that the TV guide listed it as a show called Titanes and Acción. And I always wondered, you know, why the different name change. And what was odd was that show would open each week uh, with an American military song, the uh, the Air Force hymn. Oh, yeah. You know, off we go into the wild blue yonder. And it shows scenes of, you know, the various, you know, wrestlers and matches and yell, Titanes and Acción. And even as a kid, I thought, that's odd. This show's from Argentina, but they're playing American military music. And about a year ago on Facebook, I was corresponding with uh, Paulina Caradigian, who unfortunately is no longer on Facebook. Oh, uh, she got tired of you guys. <laughs> but, she, yeah, she probably did. She probably got tired of, uh, you know, any Titanes fan after a while. A little adoration is good, but, but something she said was there was a fellow, she mentioned him by name, I can't recall what his name is now, but there was a guy who I guess got into, I think it was Channel 13 they were airing on in Buenos Aires. There was a fellow who was, I guess, notorious for getting into the film vaults and stealing videos, not just of the wrestling, but all the variety shows. And when she told me this story, I thought about some of the other shows that aired on Channel 22, and I actually ran across an old TV guide from you know, the mid-70s and looked up the titles of these shows, and I found out that several of these shows were Argentinian shows that were released under different titles. So what I suspect this fellow did was when he stole these uh, videotapes from the vaults, he must have made copies and sold them to you know TV stations under assumed names. <laughs> but... <laughs> Hey, I'm Kurt, glad he was a thief. If, if this is Kurt, the case, I'm glad he was a thief because it allowed me to encounter Titanis and El Ring when they were at their creative peak. And the only existing footage of wrestling from Titanis and El Ring in 1972 and 1973 that exists today were uh, the Luna Park show and snippets from one of the TV tapings. And that's only because in 1973 they made a Titanis and El Ring movie and they filmed some of those segments specifically for the movie. And uh, in each of those scenes, when it plays in the movie, I can remember seeing those episodes on TV when I was a kid. And it was kind of cool to be able to see them to 
so I could just kind of verify, hmm, it wasn't just a romantic memory, you know, thinking that the product I saw back then was better than it actually was. This really was cool shit. Uh, and the reason I say that is because a few years later, when uh, Titanes and El Ring aired their shows in 1981, I believe it is, uh-huh. the quality of the wrestling went down. The, uh, the guy who now played the mummy, you know, did a piss-poor job compared to Juan Dos Santos. But it was still very over with the crowd. It never ceased in popularity in Argentina. But I remember watching it in 1981, trying to remember back, saying, wait, do I just remember the 1972 TV shows with rose-colored glasses? Uh, And when I finally got to see uh, what still exists of 1972, no, that was some cool, cool stuff. Some of the best TV wrestling there ever was. There's always that one fight with, with wrestling, there's always, or with anything really, there's always that possibility you're thinking it's better because you, you don't have anything to go fall back on, you know, except your memory. Exactly, exactly. And so you question it, and yeah. so it's, it's cool like, to see it years later to see whether it measures up. Yeah. Plus, you know, there's nothing like that first year you discover wrestling. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, come on. For for how many years did I think there was like some of these crappy wrestlers who I thought were great, like Nikita Kolov? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Nikita yeah, exactly. Kolov, he's Russian. He's Russian. Oh, there were wrestlers that I thought were just like awesome, awesome wrestlers, and then yeah. years later I realized, oh, these guys didn't know their head from their ass. Yeah, and then you start figuring out who the good workers were, and it's like, oh, okay, now I get this. Now I understand wrestling. Yes, exactly, exactly. The missing link. Exactly. Another guy. <laughs> I was a huge fan of Missing Link, and I was like, man, what is, once I figured out his act, it's like, okay, now I kind of get it. It's like, he really doesn't do much. Yeah, the more you watch, it's funny because Certainly that first year you watch wrestling, there's things, there's patterns you see. Yeah. Like, you know which person's going to be a jobber no matter how big a comeback they get during a match. You know, then as the years go on, you start seeing angles being done over and over again. Uh-huh. And I guess it depended on the territory, like, the Pacific Northwest would not redo the same angle for a number of years because they had a very solid fan base that watched year in and year out, where WWF would redo their angles every three years because uh, a lot of the fans were, you know, you know, fans for three years and then they moved on to some other hobby. You know the one guy I always thought sucked from the moment I saw wrestling? Brian Adia. Oh, he was terrible. I don't know why. I mean, I never even asked anybody if he was, like, wrestlers that knew him or anything, if he was good or whatever. And, I, I mean, wish I, I could have seen him. Talk. I wish I could have seen him, like, as a as a little kid to see if would he, he appealed to me because I remember seeing him and just thought, that guy did not, yeah, did nothing. I mean, well, I, I saw him when I was a kid, so I was like, man, this guy really sucks. And then when I went once, I, I, think, I, I think maybe I, I was a little more... I hated him more because when he got his big push was when all the Von Erich started dying and everything. Yeah, he started being <laughs> true. The, he, he started being the main focal point, and I was like, man, this guy really does suck. And I don't know, I, I, that's the one guy I never really got into. Like, every, there's been guys where I, I, like, somebody can talk me into saying, yeah, you know, maybe he wasn't as bad as... But I'm trying to remember if there was somebody like that when I was a, yeah. a child. There's, there's always that one guy. With Lucha, it's always like... I, for me, it's always been like the... 
for, in lucha, I just I, I've always thought Abismo Negro was that for me for some reason. Yeah. Oh, I remember one guy. It was not a babyface, but the first time there was a heel, I totally loved, and I couldn't understand why people just didn't like him. Was Coloso Colosetti? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, go, he it. was a cool heel, but no matter how much I tried, I could not hate that guy. And yeah, <laughs> even back then, even now, I think I know he looked like a heel, but. He would have been a great baby face. He was just so histrionic. He but wouldn't have even had to change much? his style at all. He could just be one of these madmen. Uh-huh. Um, you know, very handsome guy, very you know, very stoic and stoic at the same time a little bit loony in the ring. And I'm, I'm trying to remember the first time there was a baby face that I just couldn't take. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's always that one guy you just can't stand, and it's like it just keeps bugging you that pe- other people will will say, yeah. You know, most guys, you'll find one person who likes them. This, exactly. This exactly. People who like Mark Henry, I mean, online. But I love bringing up Raul Mata to Bob Barnett. Uh-huh. Raul Mata was like my hero when I was 10, but you bring him up to Bob Barnett, and Bob Barnett winces like you just pinched him <laughs> in the gonads. Like, I couldn't stand that guy. <laughs> have you heard the show that he does on um, that, that 57 Gold talk show or whatever? I have not heard it yet. Yeah, that's I am going to listen to it though because they talk a lot of California on that on that site. Um, they they have Ken Wayne on there. So yes, Ken, Ken Wayne, Wayne was here in 1981. Yeah, that's a good interview too because he talked about the the death of the the rest of the territories and everything. I would love to hear the Ken Wayne interview, yeah, really even good. more so the Bob Barnett. I FYI to anybody out there, if you ever see a podcast with Bob Barnett interviewed, he is one of the most en- inter- entertaining interviews you will hear. Yeah, I mean it's 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 it, it's like the guy's really enamored with um, California with Olympic Olympic Auditorium wrestling because I mean and I love that he is because there is no there is no history to it. There, there's very few people who are carrying the torch and you know who were there firsthand. Uh, Dan Farron was at a lot of the matches you know in its heyday. He wasn't around for the. Blassie versus Tolis match, but Dan Fern was there in 1974, 75. Actually got to see El Cico Delico job to Ben Ghali. He stopped going. (laughs) (laughs) After that, he he stopped attending. Yeah, Los Angeles wrestling stayed pretty fresh until about 76. Yeah. Um, But, but, you know, Bob Barnett is one of the few guys who was there through... uh, He wasn't there for the famous Blassie Tolis match. I think he was in Spain, he said. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of guys who missed that. Like, every single person that they've talked to that follows California, um, L.A. wrestling, they missed that part of the... It's funny, yeah. I, I, I know a lot of fanatics, and then I just ran into a guy at work who's, like, around 60, and he yeah. said, you know, I went to the big Coliseum show in 1971. I'm going, no way! I know all these people who were into wrestling who didn't see the show, and here you're a guy who just knows a little bit about it, and you happen to be at the Coliseum show. You know who else I think might have, might have been around and watched that on that um, show? Oh, Gary Sparrow? Yeah. I didn't even think of that. I bet he was around. Yeah, because I think he mentioned it a couple of times. Yeah. Danny Wolf would have been around, except he is a bit young, I think. Yeah. He he would have been there for sure. He would have been there. He would have been there. Oh, he would have been there. Danny Danny Wolf, diehard, roller derby, diehard wrestling. Never say die. Later on, he's going to email you and tell you, I was there. I was the baby in the (laughs) house. I was a kid hiding under the ring trying to retrieve my uh, lost uh, Super Bowl. (laughs) <laughs> I'm surprised he's somebody who hasn't shown up on any of these podcasts. He showed up about, a, I think, a year and a half ago on Evan Giddensburg's podcast. Oh, he did? Oh. 
Yes. That was the one where uh, Mike Leno mourned the loss of our good friend Dan Farron. Uh, he mistook Dan Farron's name for Larry Doyle, who we lost oh, in 1998. <laughs> and it was everybody like, oh my God, Dan Farron's I was laughing hysterical, and I called up Dan, and the first thing I said, is this, is this the late Dan Farron? Kurt, Dan's like, what the hell? <laughs> I told him the story. To, to the Twitter. <laughs> that's to right, Dan that's Farron. right. And so all of you Farron out there, Dan Farron, Dan Farron is immortal. His spirit first, walks the earth. We His spirit first. walks the earth, you know, Yet it is totally solid, just like the Canterville ghost. You can trip him if you want. First Vern Gagne, now Dan Farron. <laughs> What's next? What is, yeah, what is next? I guess whatever is next, we got to save till next week. Yeah. I, I can't believe this hour has passed so fast. I think it was that moment where we, where you we were getting um, disconnected that kind of slowed us down. Yeah, that was. Yeah, well, this went like thirty minutes to me. For, I, mean, I know most of you listening out there probably felt like two or three hours, but. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Fredo, plug your site. Plug my site, site um, luchaworld.com and slambamjam.com. Slambamjam.com is going to get an up- update pretty soon, too. Uh, Very cool. Slambamjam, the most bitchin' DVDs of so wrestling in the redesign. world today. Not a DVD update. Redesign. Updates are always... Oh, oh a whole facelift. Yeah, there's going to be actually an addition. Not the, not the store, but a little bit more of an addition. I'll email Excellent. you later. I'll email we, you later with more in, more details. We definitely look forward to that. Your website? My site is www.stantheembryo.com. Trying to post, you know, entertaining little tidbits on there, uh, shallow literature, uh, deep trivia. Hope you'll all check it out. Hope you enjoy it. Until next Thursday night, this is Vandal Drummond and Alfredo Esparza. Wishing you all a totally awesome week. Don't forget to uh, burn a little incense on August 4th, uh, marking the uh, birthday of the great Gerard Damiano, who passed away last year. But it marks his birthday. He, of course, made the classic film, The Devil in Miss Jones. And uh, he, he made a. Uh, what were some of the other films he made? Uh, Forbidden Bodies, Ultra Sex, Satisfiers of Alpha Blue. Chris, that's our next episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, I could spend uh, an hour talking about that too. Anyway, uh, we'll join you next week, everybody. Have a totally, totally, totally bitchin' week. And uh, until next week. Remember, if you're walking through Southern California and you see a bright light streaking across the sky, it is not a shooting star. It is a handful of Monsell's powder. See you next week. <laughs>